So if you weren't here last week, or if you just need a quick little reminder before we get into chapter 32, verse 1, the last we saw Jacob, you may remember, he was on the move, right? He was moving from the land of Haran, the land of his uncle Laban. He was on his way back home. He was leaving where he had been for the last 20 years, where he escaped to, (laughs) where his mama sent him to, to run away from his twin brother Esau, who he had just tricked out of his birthright, right? You remember the story way back four chapters ago when he pulled the wool over his dad Isaac's eyes and really tricked his brother Esau to get Isaac to give him the patriarch blessing. Well, the problem with that was is that Esau vowed to kill his brother when he found out. And so his mom sent him to Uncle Laban's, his, her brother, said, go down, take a wife there. Let's get out of here for a while so your brother will cool off a little bit. So he's been there for 20 years, <laughs> 20 years he's been in this land. And although it's been difficult as we've been studying for him, right? Laban's been hard on him. He has been blessed by God there. He's got a couple of wives and 11 kids and flocks and herds. He's a wealthy man. But God said, last chapter, chapter 31, verse 3, he says, Jacob, it's time to go home. Leave this land and go to the land of your fathers and your kin and your kin so I can be good to you. <laughs> so Jacob obeys and he's on his way. Wives, flocks, servants, kids, everybody in tow. More importantly, in tow with a very trepidation. Really, his, his mind was, he was afraid to go home. He was afraid to meet his brother Esau. So he had a fearful heart as he's coming home. A lot of unknown. It's a very sticky situation, this homecoming, because he knew he would have to face Esau. So all of that in tow, his family, his flocks, and his poor attitude, he starts to break for Canaan. And that's where we pick up the story. Let's check it out. Verse 1, chapter 32. Jacob went on his way from Haran, heading home. And the angels of God met him. And when God saw them, when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahaniam. How awesome is that? A little bit a little bit cautious, a little bit worried about coming home. And the first thing Jacob realizes is he's not alone. God encourages him and shows him his angels. Like, how awesome is that? Jacob realizes this. He's not alone. Now listen, the human eye is not built to see the spiritual Our retinas and our photoreceptors in those retinas aren't sensitive to the wavelengths of spirits and spirit beings. They're not. But every once in a while, God opens our eyes and he shows us the realities of the spiritual realm, right? 
It's awesome. And this is one of those times that would encourage Jacob when he would see, if you could see what was even in this room, you'd probably tighten up a little bit, <laughs> right? They're here. They're here. And every once in a while, God opens people's eyes to them in the Bible and throughout history, and you can see these spirit beings. And Jacob got a glimpse at it and encouraged him. Oh, this reminds me of Elisha and his servant. Do you remember that story in 2 Kings? Awesome story. Same way the Syrians wanted to kill Elisha. They wanted to come and seize him because he knew the future. He was beating him to the punch. So they sent a great army and circled the town in which he was staying. And when they woke up, his servant looked out and said, Elisha, what are we going to do? And Elisha, if you remember, says, we outnumber him. And the servant's going. And then he prays and he says, God, show my servant Open his eyes to the realities of the spiritual help that we have. And he does, and he looks out there, and remember, he sees horses and chariots of fires in the angelic host. We are. We're good. <laughs> We're good here, right? Encouraging. There's help in store. You're not by yourself. I think it was very, very encouraging. God showed Jacob that there was spiritual help at hand that he wasn't alone, that he did not have to be afraid, I think. I'm here with you. I'm going to do you good. I'm going to protect you. And I think Jacob was so impressed. He said, this is God's camp, it says. And he called the place Mahaniam, which just means two camps. It means, hey, we have a camp with people I can see most of the time, my family and all of my guys. But also there's a spiritual camp right here ready to help. God's angels dispatched to protect and guard and to observe Jacob. Amen? Jacob was not alone. This encouraged him, so he goes on to send a message. Goes out trying to beat Esau to the punch. Check it out in verse 3. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them. This shall you say to my Lord Esau. Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. And I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male servants and female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he's coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Whoa. Jacob, kind of encouraged, sends a message of reconciliation to his brother. I don't know if you caught it there, but look at his wording. And, and first of all, it's hard to take Jacob at this point. It's hard not to judge his motives because he's been such a sneaky schemer to this point, right? But let's take the Bible at its word and in his words, just take him for what it's worth. It says here, this is why he did it. He said, um that I might find favor in your sight. Verse 5. That's why he did. He, he wanted to reconcile with his, with his brother. Yes, he was afraid, but he wanted to make things right. At least I feel like that was in his heart. And you can see some really neat posturing and attitudes. If you really want to reconcile with somebody, I don't know if you caught it, he called him Lord Esau, 
and called himself a servant. He was humbling himself. The last time those two were together, there was no, there was no humbling. There was, he was trying to be above his brother. So he's starting by being humble. He's saying, I'm your servant. I don't, I, I'm coming to serve. I'm not coming to, to, to get and take. I'm, I'm here to give. And if you notice that, he said, hey, I have all these donkeys and I have all these oxen and I have all these flocks. I have servants. He's saying that, I think, to let Esau know, I'm not coming to take like I did last time. I'm coming to put myself under you and to give and serve instead of taking. What a great posture if you want to at least consider reconciling with somebody. Amen? It's humility. It's servitude. It's having an attitude that it's better to give than to receive. Amen? Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Think about it. The supreme example of hum humility, don't you think? Philippians chapter 2, humbled himself. Became the likeness of a man. Are you kidding me? The eternal son of God taking that first step down, just kind of robing himself in a lowly Nazarene, like hiding his insignia of majesty just for a bit so he could feel us and sympathize with us. He humbled himself and died even a criminal's death. That's humility. And we know that God gives grace to the humble. You got a chance if you put yourself under people and take the low spot. Amen? Like Jesus. Matthew chapter 20. I love what he says when he's talking to his disciples about how to rule over people. Be a servant. He said, even the Son of Man, me, Jesus, I didn't come to be served but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Amen? I think Jacob did good here. I see just a little bit of greatness starting to leak out a little bit, whether his motives were pure or not. I'm going to assume they were, but he's in a good spot here, I think. He's, he's trying to put himself in a spot where he can reconcile with his brother. Yes, he's afraid, but he wants to make things right, you see. But I don't know if you caught it. The last verse I read there, there's a challenge. It says, I saw your brother got the message you sent out. Hey, Jacob, I saw your brother and he's bringing 400 men. What could that possibly mean? Well, at this point, Jacob doesn't know what that means. But to me, it's a challenge. You had a good attitude. You had a good mindset. And there's always, when you have a good, godly mindset, and your mind's right, there's always going to be a challenge from your spiritual enemy. I can tell you that right now. Whether it's from the world, the flesh, or the devil, they're going to shoot stuff at your brain. It's going to try to try to get you to entertain the worst case scenario, don't you think? That's the idea. When we all are challenged by this, your brother's coming, he's bringing 400 men. The first thing Jacob thought was what? He's coming to kill me. He ain't over it yet. It's been 20 years. He still wants to kill me. When we're challenged in this way, listen, we, we have a couple of choices. We all do. Jacob did as well. He doesn't know what this means yet, does he? But he's getting challenged. And what he does with his mind is going to make or break where he ends up. We have a choice. 
When we get challenged with a situation, we can release those thoughts to God himself. We can cast them to him. Can we not? And get peace and rest and just say, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen here, but I am not going to blow this thing up because that's your other choice. You can take something and blow it up and magnify it. You can have an overactive imagination to the point where you're so stressed and anxious, you don't even know where your spiritual life is anymore. Amen? That's the choice. Jacob seems convinced that his brother's coming after him. He's going to assume the worst. He's going to magnify this one statement and it's going to lead to something bad. Check it out. It leads to fear and anxiety. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, so much that he divided his people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, at least the other one will get away. So he went from a good mental state to getting challenged and it all going south real quick. And in my opinion, the reason is he had an overactive imagination and it led to stress. And so does it with you and me. When we assume the worst, we magnify our problems. We just keep feeding them and we make them something that they ain't. Do you guys really know? If you read ahead, do you know Esau's heart at this point? It says in the next chapter, and if you've ever had any problems with any kind of family, it'll probably make you cry if you read ahead here. When Esau sees his brother, he runs to him, falls on his neck, weeps and kisses his brother. What's there to be afraid of? <laughs> he didn't know that. He assumed the worst. He built up a big, huge monster into something that never would ever come to truth, right? Proving that we suffer a lot more in imagination than reality, don't you think? Hmm. Listen, when we do this, it's no good. It's no bueno in our lives. When we have an overactive imagination to the point where we're not using our faith and we're just building stuff up, it really freezes us in fear and anxiety and it consumes us. And even this day, there's people here just like that, right? You're just frozen. Some of us are these people. Some of us are. And we all are at times. But you see these people, they're just stuck. They're just frozen in fear and anxiety. Useless in your Christian life. Useless to encourage people around you to glorify your God. You just are Useless, frozen in fear and anxiety. There's no peace. There's no rest. There's just fear and anxiety. And here's what I know. I'm not glossing over hard things in our lives that stress us out. I'm not. 
But here's what I know. When we have an overactive imagination and we assume the worst, we get to the point where we're just frozen in this anxiety and fear. Here's what I know. That attitude, it's not from the Lord. It's not. Paul tells his protege Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, says, we are not given a spirit of fear. That's not from the Lord. God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, and a sound mind. That's what God wants to impart to you. We're doing the rest. We're letting our spiritual enemies just kind of tempt us into freaking out. We give in to that, and it's not good. It's not from the Lord. Jacob got there the same way we get there. We don't appropriate God's promises in our life. We're not looking upward to God because that's really the solution, don't you think? You got to have faith. You got to actually believe in God and his promises, right? He had a promise. He said, leave that land, go there. I'm going to do you good. I'm going to protect you. By the way, I just showed you a bunch of angels that are with you so much that you, you said you're in two camps now, and then you just made two more camps, <laughs> But then, what, what do we got? Three camps now, Jacob? What's happening? Hmm. Man, here's the solution, I think, in part. I think Jesus' words in John chapter 14, verse 1, he said, Let not your hearts be troubled, didn't he? Neither let them be afraid. Your mind's all ruffled up. You're all freaked out. He said, don't let your mind be like this. Believe in the Father and believe in me also. There's your start. Have faith. This God is the God of the Bible. This God, this faithful one, even when we're, we're not worthy to deserve anything he's given us, he showed himself faithful. You put your mind on him and you believe in him and his promises. You start looking upward instead of this way. You stop feeding the monster. You start stop pumping air into this, keeping this lie alive in your life. And you look up. You look upward to God the Father. You look up to Jesus Christ. And you look to him. You cast it to him then. And in those moments when it happens, after you're looking at him and they come into your life, you got to release them. You got to let them go. You got to cut it loose. You got to cast them to the one who cares for you. Amen. You can't be dominated by them. They're going to come. What you do with them is all your choice. And it makes all the difference in the world. As you're focused up above God's spirit, is, you're in a good spot right now. When they come into your life, in your Esau's coming with his 400 men moments, in those times, you don't keep them. You don't entertain them. You don't have an overactive imagination of what that means. You simply cast it to him because he cares about you. In everything, in prayer and supplication, right? Philippians chapter 4. You make your requests known to God. And an awesome thing happens. The peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's the solution. Start looking upward. Have faith. And then when they come, when they come, because they're going to come, we all got it coming, it's going to come, you release them because he cares for you. And in everything in prayer and supplication, you make your request known to God and you give it up to him and you will get peace 
and rest, right? Faith, rest, life is yours when you do that. That's what you do. It seems so easy, but yet so hard, <laughs> right? If you want to get out of the jam that you're in right now, I highly recommend it. We can have the peace that quite literally blows your mind in exchange for all your anxiety. There for the taken. What a divine exchange that might be, amen? All your junk, all the stuff that's keeping your hamster wheel head going and you can't sleep at night, all of those, all those moments, all that junk that you self-medicate to get rid of or that you even get a doctor to medicate you for, those things just to keep you functioning in this thing we call life, all of that can be exchanged divinely by giving it to the Lord and trusting him that he has made a promise to you and he was faithful to keep it. Amen? That's how we get out of this jam. Jacob, uh-uh. He chooses the fear in an anxiety way just we do. We there? So much so that he makes another camp. <laughs> mm. He snaps out of it quickly, though. Check this out. In verse 9, And Jacob said, O God, my father of Abraham and the God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I might do good. He prays. Jacob has a yo-yo life, just like the rest of us. <laughs> doing good, encouraged, not doing good. Doing good, not doing good. He's all messed up here. He finally gets to the point where he just wants to pray. God bless him. And this prayer is a great prayer. He prays in the next four or five verses, we'll go through it. But I want to point out the last time he was in this same area. I told you 20 years ago, he came to Haran. And when he left, he was fleeing Esau. Remember when he took that rock pillow and laid down with it? And God showed him this great vision, right? Remember the stairway to heaven or the ladder? To Remember that? Remember that great chapter? When he saw that, he prayed. And it was a pathetic prayer let me read it for you. Chapter 28, verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow, praying to God. He said this, If God will be with me, and if he keeps me in his way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I can come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Boy, is that a pathetic prayer. If you do all these things for me, God, then you can be my God. Oh, we're in the same area now. Now he's not coming or leaving. Now he's coming the other way and he gets to himself. He gets a hold of himself for a second and prays. And it is worth mentioning a few things about this prayer, in my opinion. Jacob focuses in firstly on God himself. And that's the verse I read for you. It says, um, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and the God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do good. He's, 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 he's getting smarter. I'm going to focus in on God. 
I'm going to focus in on the divine character and the divine promise. Remember, he's where he is right now because God told him to leave and he obeyed and he made him a promise. I'll do good for you. Go there and I'll do good to you. Hmm. Good, good thing to remember when you're anxious and you're stressful. Good way to pray. Pray, right? Divine character and divine promises. He's starting to get encouraged through this. Jacob remembers the promise. He remembers that there is a God up there and he ain't it, right? He's starting to get it. It's a good place to start. Check out verse 10, though. It says, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of your steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Mm. Good prayer. I am not worthy. Good prayer. Good prayer. <laughs> he said, listen, I am not worthy. I do not deserve your love and your faithfulness, your grace and your mercy. I only had a staff and you got me here. And look at me now. You have given so much, God, yet I am worth, I'm not worth it. I'm not worthy of what you've given me. He recognizes this. It's a good place to start for all of us, don't you think? Sometimes when I call my mom, I say, hey, mom, how you doing? This is what she says most of the time, better than I deserve. <laughs> Amen, right? For all of us. I wonder if we really believe that. How are you doing? Oh, my life sucks. This hurts. That hurts. Oh, it's just been hard. Yep. Or better than I deserve. Better than I deserve. Amen? Listen, in times of plenty and in times of need, and even in all the in-between times, we all should say better than we deserve, Christian. Amen? It's a great place to be right there. And Jacob keeps on the pressure on this great little prayer. Verse 11, he asks. He realizes his need, and he actually asks God for help. There's a novel concept. Check it out. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good, and I'll make your offspring as sand as the sea, which cannot be numbered for the multitude. Jacob asks, specifically and definitely, he tells God in an open, vulnerable way, here's what I'm afraid of, and here's where I need help. Like a child coming to a good father, he says, Father, I need you. I'm afraid. And for Jacob to say this is big deal. He recognizes the trouble he's in right now. The monster that he's built in his head. The pressure of the homecoming to meet his brother that he thinks is going to avenge him. 
He needs God's help. It's a good place to be. A needy person. (laughs) We get to the point in our lives where we can say, I need you. Lord, I need you. I don't got the goods. For Jacob to say this, here's the word picture I think of, okay? Because he's the trickster. He's the planner. And he ain't done yet, as we'll see. But one thing I like about our God is that he's described, Jesus is, as the good shepherd. He leaves the 99 to find the one, does he not? And he's always rescuing us wary sheep. And I picture a sheep caught in a fence right now. And he's tried everything he can to get out. All the tricks that he knows, backwards, forwards, twisting, back and forth, everything on his own. But with every move and every twist and every trick, it's getting tighter around his neck. And he's hung up in the fence and he's going to die. He can barely breathe. You guys been there? You finally got to the end of your rope and you got nothing left. You've weaseled, you jacobed your way out of everything you can and all you've done is made it worse and you can't even breathe. But then you sit down and the sheep gives up. And he bleeds out. I need help. I need you, Lord. And you know what I know about our Lord, the good shepherd, is he has a special affinity for the brokenhearted to the needy. He's attracted and does his, if you will, best work in those moments, in our brokenness, in our weakness. Amen? He hears us in that state. This is why this prayer is so good. Because our Lord does not break the bent reed. He does not snuff out the smoldering flax, does he? He has compassion and mercy and a special affinity for people who know they are broken and that are needy and that need him. This is why this is such an impressive prayer to me. Jacob got it right here, right? He did three things. He, he focused in at the first part on the divine character and the divine promise, and, and, and it's, it's, just, it's a start, he hasn't appropriated it into his life yet, but it's a start. His mind's right. And then, he's, then he says, I'm not even worthy of this. He puts things in perspective, right? And then finally he just says, I need your help. I'm needy. Lord, I need you. Amen? What a good prayer. Jacob, good job. I see greatness. For the first time, kind of sneaking out of you. Right? But it's been said before. That the most important thing about a prayer is what you do 15 minutes after. <laughs> right? Like, are, do you believe this? All these platitudes, all these great things he's saying here, they're spot on theologically. They're awesome. He's in a great spot. But can you have faith and trust and obey them and actually have peace and rest in your life and, and let God do what you're saying? Can you appropriate it in your life? That's the question. And as we'll see, Jacob still proves he's Jacob by the way he reacts to this. What a beautiful prayer. But then we're blessed with another story of Jacob. I titled the next few verses, Jacob doing Jacob things. (laughs) Because that's what he does. Right? 
And if you ever think you're crazy because you go from good, spiritual, to bad, I suck, to don't worry, it's normal, okay? Right? You, you can't survive on yesterday's spiritual power. It's we continually need to be filled with God's spirit so we can be spiritual. Jacob, although it's different for him, listen, he had a yo-yo life too. You're, it's okay. <laughs> it's normal. Yo-yo life. A beautiful prayer. And then check this story out. This is awesome. Verse 13. So he stayed there that night. And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself. And he said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first drove, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? And where are you going? And who are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my Lord Esau. And moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructs the second and the third, all who followed in the droves to say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought... I may appease him with the presents that go ahead of me. And afterwards, I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the presents passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed the night behind at the camp. This is Jacob being Jacob, don't you think? Planning, scheming. These are expensive gifts. This is an extravagance gifts. He sends... Uh, in droves, one after the other, in waves, seemingly trying to manufacture out by his own wealth and planning and wisdom. He's trying to manufacture reconciliation with his brother. That's what he's trying to do. There's no indication here in the slightest that he was going to rest and trust God to work on Esau's heart. At the same time, he's working on his, not one. This was a very clever, psychologically designed scheme from the schemer, Jacob, doing Jacob things. Amen? Now listen, I read a lot about this story over the last week. And I want to tell you, restitution is important in reconciliation, okay? Maybe Jacob wanted to pay back. Maybe. Okay, listen. I think Jacob's being Jacob. Restitution is important, but that's not what's going on here, in my opinion. What God really wants from us, okay, is for us to trust and obey him. For him to be the reconciler. To be the reconciler. To him to be the restitution in our stead. He wants us to trust God and his faithfulness to forgive us and to work on the people we've wronged and to get their heart right so we both can be open at the same time so we can have a real reconciliation. 
Because in a relationship, there's oftentimes when there's trouble, there's somebody closed and there's somebody open. And what God really wants is us, for all of us, to trust him, to open each other's souls and hearts and minds up to the, the fact that he's the reconciler. Every problem's a spiritual problem individually. When we get that right, then we can come together. That's what God really wants. He doesn't want extravagant restitution. He wants us to trust in him to be the great reconciler. That's what he wants from Jacob. It sounded like what Jacob wanted in his prayer. The authentic, listen, the authentic Christian life, for instance, an authentic prayer and authentic faith is rid of stubborn dependence on ourselves and our clever plans, plain and simple. Amen? And I think that's where Jacob is back here right now. And I think, as we'll see as we finish up here in this last section, God's had about enough of it. This yo-yo life, this schemer, this guy, this really self-sufficient, self-reliant, stubborn schemer. He can't even help himself. This independent guy, he's had about enough of it, and he's about ready to beat the Jacob right out of himself. Watch this in this last little section, and we'll close up here. It's when God wrestles Jacob. Check it out. I'll read you this. This story's it's a little weird. And that's coming from a wrestler. Check it out. The same night he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children, and he crossed the ford of Jabuk. He took them and he sent them across to the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And Jacob said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but it should be called Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose upon him, and he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. What? Really? What? I mean, seriously, what a mysterious, intriguing type story, a wrestling match. Really, God? It's incredible. Now listen, since I know a little something about wrestling, I'll do my best here, make a few points. But this is, this is an incredible story at its face, right? We, we know that this man wrestled Jacob. And we know that this man is God, right? It says it in verse 30, right? He said, he named the place, Peniel, I saw God face to face. This is God himself wrestling Jacob. Now listen. 
There's times in the Bible, like we've seen in the Old Testament, where God takes the form of a man. It's, it's called a theophany. It's, 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 uh, it's God meeting man where he's at so that they don't die, right? That they can actually visit with God in those days, as it were, right? It's no different than in chapter 18, right? When a man came and shared a meal with Abraham and Sarah, when this man, right, promised Isaac, the promised one, right? Do you remember that time outside that tent? It was a man. He ate. He took the form of but it was God, right? Same thing here. This is God wrestling Jacob. And I think we should emphasize, because my heading's wrong, it says Jacob wrestles God. I don't believe that happened. Now, I'm going to stand on my, my expert experience wrestling most of my life. I don't know. I can't quite say that anymore, but pretty close. Okay? I wrestled probably, I've counted up one time, probably 700, 800 matches in my life, maybe 150 high-level Division I or international matches. So I know a little something about wrestling. Okay? So bear with me. If you don't agree with me, this is fine. I don't think you should ever say that Jacob wrestled God. God wrestled Jacob. It says the man wrestled Jacob. And this is why I want to emphasize this. I did a lot of wrestling in my day. And sometimes, and I grew up around here, so some people come up to me sometimes and say, hey, remember me? And I'm like, we, I wrestled you one time. And, and there he's reliving the story. And, and you know, some, sometimes... I think in my brain, I don't remember wrestling you. You know the ones I remember? The ones I lost or the ones that were really close. I don't remember a lot of the other ones. And you know why? Because mostly I was doing the wrestling and they were doing the losing. That's really the reality of it. There wasn't a lot of mutual wrestling going on, right? So I don't remember them. God wrestled Jacob for the purpose of wrestling the Jacob right out of him. That's why he came and wrestled Jacob. He said, listen, you schemer, you self-defiant, self-independent, you little trickster, listen, let's wrestle, you and me. And it was a divine match. It was a grind match. This this said that they wrestled to the break of dawn. (laughs) Well, that's a long time. And this is called in wrestling when you train. There's two ways to train. One way would be to build your explosiveness, your intensity, and you go short 30-second goes, minute goes. But there's other times a season when you do grind matches. And I remember when I first wrestled my first grind match. They call it grind match. 17-year-old freshman, University of Oregon. You come in on a Friday and they say, it's grind match time. Grind match, grab a partner. I'm like, what's a grind match? And they said, grind match means one, one hour. Grab a partner, one hour. I'm like, well, what's, what are the rules? What if you get pinned or what if you go out of bounds? And he said, there are no rules. Tough guy makes the rules. <laughs> what? Yeah, they, you wrestle the same guy for one hour. And it doesn't matter if you get taken down in one minute and you spend 59 minutes with your face in the mat. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're up on the side of the mat and you're getting crushed into the out-of-bounds. It doesn't matter. You're just wrestling. Tough guy makes the rules. It's just a grind match. This is the ultimate grind match. They wrestled through the night. 
And at a certain point, when the trickster was tricking and trying all his moves, God said, okay, it's enough. And he touches his hip and he breaks it out of his socket. And you need to realize the wrestling match was over at that point. And that's what I think people get wrong with this. He, he touched him, match over, but then Jacob clung to him and he would not let him go. This is to Jacob's credit, right? Jake, I think God broke the Jacob out of him. Try all the tricks you want. I'll wrestle with you a while and I will let you do all your moves until I'm done with you and then I'm going to touch your hip and then you're going to cling to helpless dependence on me. You see, that's what he's teaching him. I'm going to beat Jacob right out of you, Jacob. The ever living Jacob, right out of you. Go ahead, best shot. When he's done, he touches him, matches over. He clings until the break of dawn, which is to his credit, which makes him the prevailer. But he wasn't beating God or was he? He wasn't equal with God when he was wrestling. He was simply hanging on. To make this point, if you caught it, God says after that point, when he says, let me go, he says, what's your name? What's your name? Do you like that? Here's the point. What's your name? Who's your daddy now is what he's saying. You still Jacob? You done? Is all you can do is just hold on to you, me and your weakness. What's your name? What's your name? It's not trickster anymore, is it? <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> Please bless me. I'm not letting go. What's your name? <laughs> I think God took him outside the woodshed a little bit and stuck it in him. What's your name? Kind of like when the Lord restored Peter. That's what it reminded me of. Remember when he restored him? Peter, do you agape me? Peter, what, what did he do? He, he denied him three times. Peter, do you agape me? Peter, oh, you know I... Phileho you, maybe I'm, I, I, I love you like a brother. That's the, that's the best I could muster up for you after I denied you three times. Second time, Peter, do you agape me? Peter, <sighs> you know, Lord, you know, you know i fond of you. You know I like you. Woodshed, you didn't agape me, Peter. But then our gracious Lord restores Peter and he gets down to his level. He condescends and goes, Peter, do you phileo me? Yeah, I do, Lord. You know I do. Awesome. Same idea. What's your name? Jacob, what's your name? <laughs> and then he gives him a new name. He calls him Israel. And that's a blessing. He's starting to change his character. He beat the trickster out of the trickster is what really happened here. And he gives him a name. It's God's prevailer. You're my champ now. Jacob, you're mine. You prevailed. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a new name, but you're my champ now, right? That's the idea. What's your name? Finally, he ends with, I don't know if you caught it, but Jacob, after he knows who God is, if you caught it, he says, what's your name? <laughs> Jacob, I love it. He already said, hey, I've seen you face to face. But he's, he's like, Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. That's interesting. And then look at God's response in verse 29. But he said, why is it you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. 
God asked Jacob what his name was so he could admit that he was the trickster and that has to go, beat it right out of him. And then Jacob asked him, what's your name? And God was having none of it. Hey, Jacob, you know who I am. You know who I am. And he did, because it said after that, he had just wrestled with God. I love how God doesn't, doesn't answer him. And then God's saying, hey, I'm the guy that just beat the Jacob out of you. I'm the God of the Bible. I'm the God of your grandfather, Abraham. I'm the God of your daddy, Isaac. And I'm your God. And I will have no more of the trickster. From now on, your name is Israel and you're my champion now. Amen? I picked you to, to lead my people. Start acting like it. Amen? All right. So, Father, thank you for this chapter. Thank you for your people. I pray that we go about our day. We'd be blessed because we've been in your word. I pray for safety as everybody drives home. We give you the glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.